Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Troy. Grab a seat. For those of you that are in the room, you're going to see my friend Joshua walking around a little bit. He's taking some video for a big thing that he's doing for our anniversary. It's coming up in just a few weeks. I'm going to make a confession to you. I generally don't like it when sermons start with the title, How To. I realize this is just a preacher thing in me, but I often think that you take, as a, as a preacher, you take the big, deep, profound truths of God, and something feels a little bit shallow to me when you turn them into how-to sermons. I call it recipe theology. Everybody in this room who's ever made a recipe, you put the ingredients in a bowl, you mix it up together, you put it in the oven, and poof, out comes a cake, right? Well, recipe theology kind of works the same way. If I take these ingredients and I do it in this order, poof, out comes this result. The problem with how-to sermons is that they don't account for a relationship with your father. And all relationships, every married couple in this room has to admit this, all relationships are frustrating, all relationships are confusing, All relationships are messy, and that includes your relationship with your Father in heaven. And the problem I have with how-to sermons is they seem to focus on do these things, and you're going to get this result without factoring in the messy relationship that you have and I have with King Jesus. And today, I'm going to be a total hypocrite because today, I have no other way of doing this. I wanted to explain what it looks like to walk with Jesus. And so, I'm just going to violate my own principle and put it right there on the screens for you. Really, what I want you to hear from me today, I'll give it to you in one small sentence, is how to walk in your father's footsteps. I'm not talking about your father, Noah, although today, the Bible makes it very clear, Every single person on planet Earth, in Asia, in Africa, North and South America, Australia, even the people that are in Antarctica, and nobody comes from there, but the people that are living there, we can all trace our father back to Noah. That's not the father that I'm talking about. I'm not even talking about Noah's first father, Adam. I'm talking about our father in heaven. And every dad in this room knows that relationships are messy, relationships are costly, and to be a good father, you're going to have to make some big sacrifices. I want to really drive this point home, so I went out this week to try to find a video that would show you what I mean. Check this video out, will you?
Okay, that's a good dad in this video who doesn't go berserk when the children are playing with the stereo equipment because I would tend to lose my stuff if you mess around with the speakers. Don't even look at them. In fact, don't breathe on them because something might happen to those. Um, some of you in this room had a really good, really godly father. And you need to go home tonight and you need to thank the Father in heaven for allowing you to grow up in a home like that. Some of you in this room, not so much. What I want to do is set the stage for what we're going to read at the end of Genesis chapter 9. And we're going to see what it looks like to be a father through the eyes of Noah. And the Bible makes it very clear. First thing that we're going to see is that all of us can trace your ancestry back. I don't know how many of you have actually done this and you started tracing back your genealogy, but the Bible says it explicitly today. Everybody can trace their ancestry back to Noah and Noah's sons. And we've seen over the last month or two what kind of a follower of God Noah is. God tells Noah to build a boat, he does it. He tells him to gather the food, Noah does it. He tells Noah to protect his family, Noah does that. Today, we see what kind of father Noah is. And I'll just give you the, a hint right up front. It's not pretty. Genesis chapter 9, starting in verse 18. The sons of Noah who came out of the boat with their father were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham is the father of Canaan. Would you say the name Canaan out loud? Apparently, this is a really big deal. Now, I just want to point out that all of Noah's sons had sons, multiple sons. Ham had multiple sons. But for some reason, Moses, the guy who's writing this part of the Bible, wants you to know about one son of one of Noah's sons, wants you to know about Noah's grandson, Canaan. Ham is the father of Canaan. From these three sons of Noah came all of the people who now populate the earth, meaning every generation can chase or trace their um, ancestry back to Noah. And dads, I just want to say something to you right out of the gate. No matter what you see in Disney movies, you have a huge role to play in the family. In fact, 
It may not be any more important any time in human history than today, dad's responsibilities and dad's role in the family. Noah, God tells to go build a boat. God gives Noah very specific instructions and Noah follows. God tells Noah, gather the food. I'm going to bring the animals. Noah, gather your family because if they're not on that boat, they're not going to survive. And Noah follows. But today, we see what kind of dad, what kind of father Noah is. So the Bible takes our attention today, and it takes it off of Noah and turns it to Noah's three sons. And for whatever reason, it specifically points out one of Noah's grandchildren, a son by the name of Canaan. Now, Canaan has multiple children. We're going to read about them in the next chapter. I mean, Ham has multiple children. One of his sons is named Egypt. One of his sons is named Canaan. And I tend to think the reason why Moses is pointing out Canaan is because when you read the rest of Genesis, you're going to see the absolute disaster that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's sons, Jacob's uh, especially Joseph, have to go through. And they all go through it living in the territory of Egypt living in the territory of Canaan, meaning if you want to know why these brothers had such a difficult time, you don't need to look any further than Ham and his sons to see why they grew or why they had to live in some uh, difficult environment like that. And some of you out there grew up in some pretty harsh conditions too. Some of you out there grew up with a dad that wasn't there because he divorced your mom. Some of you grew up with a dad that wasn't there because he was dead. Some of you grew up with a dad that was disconnected. And instead of being involved like that video, he was staring at his phone or more focused on work than on you. You know the statistics say that for the average child in America, get this, fathers, they would be better off with a dad that is dead than the dad that they are growing up with. Because the dad that they're growing up with is such a bad example. When a child's father dies, dies, they tend to imagine something good in their place. And the statistics say that fatherhood in America is so bad that most children would be better off with a dad that's dead than the dad that they're living with or the dad that dumped their mom and moved on with somebody else. When I joined the army, 18 years old, I was desperately looking for what it looked like to be a man because I didn't have an example of this growing up. I looked to the guys that I served with in the army. And then Dawn and I got married and we started having babies. And when I found out that she was pregnant, I got scared because I didn't have the first idea what it looked like to be a dad. Didn't have the first clue what it looked like to be a good dad. And I wanted to do this thing right. And I didn't have any examples to look to. I remember how terrified I was about this. And I'm reading the scriptures and I'm really freaking out about this. And there was a moment where I come across the Lord's Prayer in the book of Luke. And I really believe Jesus used these words on purpose. He said, when you pray, start your prayer with this. Our what in heaven? Our Father that's in heaven. And that's a moment that it occurred to me. God really does want to be a father 
to the fatherless. He will show you what a perfect father looks like. And if you want an example to follow, Jeff, you don't have to look any further than God in heaven who will step in and be a perfect example for him, for you. You follow in those footsteps and he will lead you as you lead your family. I prayed, God, I need your help because I know I'm gonna mess this up if I don't have you helping me every day to be the kind of father that my family needs. And I'm convinced that God heard that prayer. But guys, would you look up here for just a second? Because I'm convinced that God is still listening. For a guy who's on his knees, who is saying, I know I'm going to mess this up without your help. God, I need you to lead me so that I can lead my family well. And when you make a prayer like that, God hears a prayer like that from heaven. And God says, now I can work with a guy like that. And I'm convinced that God is still stepping in and making a huge impact in the home. And he tends to do it through mom and dad. And you will leave the biggest impact, the biggest legacy on your family of anybody. But I also need to just say this up front. I was far from a perfect father because every human father is flawed. Now, our Father in heaven is perfect, but I don't even need to know who your dad is to know that he made some mistakes along the way. Every human father is going to make some mistakes along the way. Harrison Ford, you know the uber-famous Han Solo, Indiana Jones actor, he just did an interview a few weeks ago for Esquire magazine. One quote from that magazine is hitting the headlines and blowing up everywhere. The 82-year-old actor said, I would have been a much better father if I wasn't so famous. But because of what fame and making movies did for me and to me, I gave more to work than I did to my family. And I would be a much better father looking back on it now if I didn't spend so much time at work, if I didn't spend so much time with my family. Every father is flawed, even Noah. And the Bible doesn't ever try to hide human flaws. Look at what it says next. Genesis chapter 9, starting in verse 20. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground and he planted a vineyard. Noah is the first planter, the first gardener. God makes the first garden, but Noah makes the second one. And one day, he drank some wine that he had made and he became drunk and he lay naked inside his tent. No big deal, right? Well, apparently, if you keep reading, this is a big deal. Apparently, it's a really big deal. Look at what happens next. Ham, the father of Canaan. Did I mention Noah's grandson, Canaan? Well, Ham, his father, saw that his father, Noah, was naked. And he went outside and told his brothers. Then Shem, Ham, and, or then Shem and Japheth took a robe and held it over their shoulders and backed into the tent to cover their father. As they did this, they looked the other way so that they would not see him naked. And now 
You're scratching your head like I was scratching my head as I was working on the sermon this week. There's a whole lot of controversy and a whole lot of questions about what we're reading here. I just want to pause for what we just heard. Noah gets off the boat. Noah has heard the blessings of God. Noah has entered into a new covenant with God. And one of the first things that Noah does is get drunk. I'm going to plant a vineyard. I'm going to grow some grapes. I'm going to make some wine and I'm going to get drunk. And I personally believe this is Jeff's opinion. Might be totally wrong here. Noah has PTSD. Noah has seen so much death. Noah has seen so much killing that when he goes to sleep, he can't make the nightmares go away. So Noah does what 10,000 other warriors try to do and it doesn't work. He turns to the bottle or he turns to pills or to porn, or to some other vice to try to numb the pain and temporarily make the nightmares go away. Problem with this approach that Noah is taking is that it's a temporary approach and it doesn't actually solve the problem. It just postpones the inevitable. You see the pills, look up here for a second. The bottle, the people that you know, the warriors that are struggling with nightmares and what they did on the battlefield, maybe struggling with the dreams that Noah saw, that bottle, those pills don't fix the problem. They just numb it temporarily. And usually you end up drunk, hungover, and worse off the next morning anyway. So at some point, Noah, you're going to have to do what every guy or gal that's going through what you're going through has to do. You're going to have to do the hard work of working through this to get healthy on the other side. That bottle can't do it for you. Noah turns to the bottle, and Noah turns so hard to the bottle that he becomes like a drunk teenage girl at spring break. He passes out naked in his tent. We don't really know exactly what happens next, but something bad happens between Noah and his son. Now, I just want to tell you the range of options out here, but the truth is nobody can say for sure the Bible isn't definitive enough to know exactly what happens next. Some believe that Ham looked on his father's nakedness with lust. It was a homosexual intent. Some believe that Ham actually assaulted his father while he was naked. There are others that tend to believe that Ham had sex with his mother at this point. And that comes directly from Leviticus chapter 20. The same guy who writes this in Genesis writes Leviticus 20, who says, a son is not supposed to have a sexual relationship with their mother because you see your father, exact same words, you see your father's nakedness. This is wrong. It's an offense. It's an abomination to God. Truth is, we don't know exactly what happened. But the Bible, I'm not going to mince any words with you today, is written in such a way that it does not excuse what Noah just did. Noah, you're wrong for being in this situation. And as we keep reading today, the Bible does not excuse whatever Ham did. It was bad, bad enough that his brothers had to step in and try to fix a little bit of what just happened. Ham did wrong, so wrong that when Noah wakes up, Noah is so upset, so offended that he's going to curse Ham and his descendants forever. See, the truth is, God gave Adam a chance 
to be a perfect father? And Adam blew it. And Adam's sons took sin to a whole new level. We go from don't eat that fruit from that tree to Cain murdering his brother. Noah gets a second chance to fix what Adam has done wrong. God has just washed all of the evil, all of the sin off of the earth. And now, Noah, you and your sons have a chance to get right what Adam couldn't do right. And Noah does the exact same thing, turns to the bottle, turns to sin, and his son Ham takes sin to the next level. And it still happens to this day The sin and the cursings of the father are on the second and the third generation. Last week, when we were talking about the rainbow, I got off on the subject of the LGBTQ plus community. And I told you guys, when you see that rainbow, this is a beautiful symbol in the sky. And I want you to remember, every time you see that rainbow, even if it's on a flag, even if it's on a t-shirt, I want you to remember three words. I'm going to put you on the spot. Please don't let me down right now. What are those three words? (laughs) Thank you, God, for somebody in this room remembering a permanent promise of protection. I will never again flood the entire earth. And my promise is you look up in the skies and you can see it from many miles away. That rainbow is my promise that I will never again do to the next generation what I did to Noah's generation. But I missed an opportunity last Sunday to challenge you to love like Jesus loves people in this community. See, the truth is Jesus hung around with people like this while he was on earth. And the religious leaders, those hateful, judgmental people, criticized Jesus and his followers for hanging around with people like this. And what I want to challenge you to do, church, is if there are some people like this in your family, if you have some friends that are like this, if there's some people like this in your neighborhood or in your community, would you go out of your way to love them, to serve them, to minister to them, but never ever minimize the sin that's involved. You see, what Jesus did is he loved the sinner while he was calling out the sin at the same time. And look up here for just a second, church. This is why I want to challenge you. If you will love, if you will serve, if you will go out of your way to try to minister to this community, then you may be the only voice that they will ever hear in their lifetime who talks about Jesus and about what he can do for sinners. You see, every other voice on the planet is hateful and judgmental and critical, and there's no way people from the gender identity, sexual ethics uh, part of our society that are struggling will hear the gospel in all of that hate and all of that criticism. We have the opportunity, as Pastor Troy prayed just a second ago, to push back darkness, and in order to do that, you're going to have to love like Jesus, which means loving the sinner at the same time that you're calling out the sin. And maybe every time you see that rainbow, you'll start to not only think about God's permanent promise of protection, but you'll start to see somebody who needs to hear the gospel. And maybe God will use you to step into darkness and to make a difference. Every father is flawed. 
Noah is flawed. He got a chance to get it right, and he blew it. Noah's son, Ham, is flawed. He had a chance to get it right, and he blows it, and he blows it so bad that his sons will miss their father's blessing. You see, a father has a chance to bless a son. I want to add, bless a daughter and help that boy become a man. Help that girl become a woman. Every parent in this room, every parent listening to my voice, you have the biggest influence on another person's life of anybody on the planet. Every time the statistics are done, it always says, mom and dad had the biggest impact on me. Dads, you have the opportunity to show your sons what it means to be a man. You have the opportunity to show your daughters what to look for in a man. Moms, you have the chance to coach the woman out of your daughter and turn her into a good, gracious, godly woman. You have the chance to look at your sons and let them know what women expect and how to be a good man for a woman one day. The influence that you have lasts for long after you're gone. And in the Bible... There's language that we see today called the blessing. Now, this is very specific language. I'm saying every parent has the opportunity to bless every child. But in the Bible, there's very specific blessing language. And I'm not going to make any excuses for this. That blessing language always comes from the Father and it's always passed down to the next generation. And almost always, the greatest blessing lands on the firstborn son. So look at Noah's blessing of his children and his curse to Ham because of what just happened. When Noah woke up from his stupor, can I just add the word from his drunken stupor? When Noah woke up from his drunken stupor, he learned what Ham, his youngest son, had done. Apparently, something was really bad here. We don't exactly know what it was. And then Noah cursed Ham's children. Noah cursed Canaan, the son of Ham. May Canaan be cursed. May he be the lowest of servants to his relatives. And then Noah said, may the Lord, the God of Shem, be blessed and may Canaan be his servant. May God expand the territory of Japheth. May Japheth share the prosperity of Shem and may Canaan be his servant. And then the Bible tells us that Noah went on and lived another 350 years after the great, the great flood. He lived to be 950 years old. And then Noah died a really, really old man. If you're doing some genealogy right now, Noah was alive and the living link between Adam's son Seth and all of the descendants, you and I on planet Earth today, Noah is the only living link that connects God's original son, Adam, with you and I today. If you continue reading in the Bible, you're going to see that less than 350 years from now, 
There's a father who's going to have a son by the name of Abraham or Abram. God will bless this man. God will choose this man. God will change this man's name. And Noah is still alive when Abraham is walking on earth. We don't know where Noah settles down. We don't know where Noah ends up. But it's possible that Noah is hearing about the, or Abraham is hearing about the flood directly from Noah, the guy that went through it. Now, Every father in the scriptures messes up. Every father, Abraham, Moses, David, all of the human fathers on earth make some big mistakes along the way. And the Bible never tries to hide it. The Bible never tries to cover it up. It shows us that if you want a perfect father, there's only one place that you can look. But every father also has this awesome responsibility of handing down their faith to the next generation. Dads, moms, I want to challenge you. Please don't leave your children confused and trying to figure out on their own what it looks like to follow Jesus. Don't do that to them. Be very clear, very specific with them. You can't make your children believe anything, but you can show it so clearly that there's no question in their their mind what it looks like to follow Jesus. And by the way, I just want to point out to every busy dad that's in the room, no one is so busy that you can't leave a legacy with your children. Because it's the small things. It's not the really big events of life. It's just simply loving them well day in and day out that will leave the biggest impact. The little things always leave the biggest impact on another human being. And I want to also challenge you. You don't have to have a lot of money to hand off your faith. In fact, you can be absolutely broke and still give your children a rich deep faith in Jesus. You can do what Noah did for two of his three sons. You can bless your children. You can hand down a faith and leave a legacy that will last long after you're dead and gone. Do you know what will leave the biggest impact on the world after you're dead? It's the character of the men and women that were in your house long after you're in the grave. And when I was a father, I wanted to leave our children with a blessing. It was kind of an unintentional thing. It actually was intentional, but I didn't want to make a big deal about it. And so here was the blessing. Whatever you decide to do in life next, it's fine with me. You have my permission to go out and to walk your own path, to go out and to live your own life. I don't want you, please don't feel any pressure to follow in my footsteps. My blessing to all of our children, sons and daughters, was go out and live your own life. The only thing that I ask you is love Jesus in the process. Because if you will do that, you will do what God charged Adam to do, what God charged Noah to do. You will leave an impact on the world that will last long after you're dead and gone. Here was my blessing to my children, and I don't think they even recognized it when I was saying it. Don't follow me. You go out and follow Jesus. You follow in his footsteps, and you'll change the world. And I want to challenge you, church. 
I want to leave the same challenge in front of you that God left to Abraham or that God left to Noah, that God left to Adam, that God leaves to all parents in this room. Will you leave a legacy that will last long after you're dead and gone? And you don't have to be a parent to do this. Everybody in this room can live and walk with Jesus in such a way that people stand up and they take notice. They watch you and they take notice and they decide, I think I want some of what makes that woman, what makes that guy tick. If you will do that, you will leave an impact that literally can change the world. But maybe somebody is tuned in today and you have realized, I don't think God really is my father because I've never radically, totally surrendered to him. In fact, when I think about God, the image that comes to my mind is a mean bitter old man sitting in heaven and waiting to do me wrong because he's mad at me. And the songs that we've sung, I hope you've heard it from the sermon today. That's just not who your father in heaven is. And maybe you've come to the point of realizing, I got the wrong image of God in heaven. I've been looking at God in heaven through the eyes of what I saw from my father in the home. And I realized today, that's not at all what God is like. And what I need is a loving, perfect, heavenly father to step in and to radically change me. Change me so much that I walk out of the room a different person. I'm going to pray for all of us. And if this represents what's on your heart, I'm going to ask you to pray silently as I'm praying for us out loud. Would you bow your heads? Would you let me pray for us? We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.